Chapter Two of Harrington by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jenny Bradshaw. Chapter Two. My mother, who had a great and perhaps not altogether a mistaken opinion of the sovereign efficacy of the touch of gold in certain cases, tried it repeatedly on the hand of the physician who attended me, and who, in consequence of this application, had promised my cure but that not speedily taking place and my mother naturally impatient beginning to doubt his skill she determined to rely on her own on sir kenelm digby's principle of curing wounds by anointing the weapon with which the wound had been inflicted she resolved to try what could be done with the jew who had been the original cause of my malady and to whose malignant influence its continuance might be reasonably ascribed accordingly one evening at the accustomed hour when simon the old clothes-man's cry was heard coming down the street i being at that time seized with my usual fit of nerves and my mother being at her toilette crowning herself with roses to go to a ball she ordered the man to be summoned into the housekeeper's room and through the intervention of the housekeeper the application was made on the jew's hand and it was finally agreed that the same should be renewed every twelvemonth upon condition that he the said simon should never more be seen or heard under our windows or in our square my evening attacks of nerves intermitted as the signal for its coming on ceased for some time i slept quietly it was but a short interval of peace simon meanwhile told his part of the story to his compeers and the fame of his annuity ran through street and alley and spread through the whole tribe of israel the bounty acted directly as an encouragement to ply the profitable trade, and old clothes, old clothes was heard again punctually under my window, and another and another Jew, each more hideous than the former, succeeded in the walk. Jews I should not call them, though such they appeared to be at the time. We afterwards discovered that they were good Christian beggars, dressed up and daubed for the purpose of looking as frightful and as like the traditionary representations and vulgar notions of a malicious, revengeful, ominous-looking shylock as ever wetted his knife the figures were well got up the tone accent and action suited to the parts to be played the stage effect perfect favoured as it was by the distance at which i saw and wished ever to keep such personages and as money was given by my mother's orders to these people to send them away they came the more if i went in the carriage with my mother a jew was at the coach door when i got in or when i got out or if we stopped but five minutes at a shop while my mother went in and I was left alone, a Jew's head was at the carriage window, at the side next me. If I moved to the other side, it was at the other side. If I pulled up the glass, which I never could do fast enough, the Jew's head was there opposite to me, fixed in a frame, and if I called to the servants to drive it away, I was not much better off, for at a few paces distance the figure would stand with his eyes fixed upon me, and as if fascinated, though I hated to look at those eyes, for the life of me I could not turn mine away. The manner in which I was thus hunted and pursued wherever I went seemed to my mother something really extraordinary, to myself something magical and supernatural. The systematic roguery of beggars, their combinations, meetings, signals, disguises, transformations, and all the secret tricks of their trade of deception, were not at this time, as they have in modern days, been revealed to public view, and attested by indisputable evidence. Ignorance is always credulous much was then thought wonderful nay almost supernatural which can now be explained and accounted for by easy and very ignoble means my father for all this time though i have never mentioned him i had a father living my father being in public life and much occupied with the affairs of the nation had little leisure to attend to his family 
a great deal went on in his house without his knowing anything about it he had heard of my being ill and well at different hours of the day but had left it to the physicians and my mother to manage me till a certain age but now i was nine years old he said it was time i should be taken out of the hands of the women so he inquired more particularly into my history and with mine he heard the story of simon and the jews my mother said she was glad my father's attention was at last awakened to this extraordinary business she expatiated eloquently upon the medical or as she might call them magical effects of sympathies and antipathies upon the nervous system but my father was not at all addicted to a belief in magic and he laughed at the whole female doctrine as he called it of sympathies and antipathies so declaring that they were all making fools of themselves and a miss molly of his boy he took the business up short with a high hand there was some trick some roguery in it the jews were all rascals he knew and he would soon settle them so to work he set with the beadles and the constables and the overseers the corporation of beggars were not in those days so well grounded in the theory and so alert in the practice of evasion as by long experience they have since become the society had not then as they have now in a certain lane their regular rendezvous called the beggars opera they had not then as they have now in a certain cellar an established school for teaching the art of scolding kept by an old woman herself an adept in the art they had not even their regular nocturnal feasts where they planned the operations of the next day's or the next week's campaign so that they could not as they now do set at naught the beadle and the parish officers the system of signals was not then perfected and the means of conveying secret and swift intelligence by telegraphic science had not in those days been practised the art of begging was then only art without science the native genius of knavery unaided by method or discipline the consequence was that the beggars fled before my father's beadles constables and overseers and they were dispersed through other parishes or led into captivity or round-houses or consigned to places called asylums for the poor and indigent or lodged in workhouses or crammed into houses of industry or penitentiary houses where by my father's account of the matter there was little industry and no penitence and from whence the delinquents issued after their seven days captivity as bad or worse than when they went in be that as it may the essential point with my father was accomplished they were got rid of that season and before the next season he resolved that i should be out of the hands of the women and safe at a public school which he considered as a specific for all my complaints and indeed for every disease of mind and body incident to childhood it was the only thing he said to make a man of me there was jack b and thomas d and dick c sons of gentlemen in our county and young lord mowbray to boot all at school with dr y and what men they were already a respite of a few months was granted in consideration of my small stature and of my mother's all eloquent tears meantime my father took me more to himself and mixed with men i acquired some manly or what were called manly ideas my attention was awakened and led to new things i took more exercise and less medicine and with my health and strength of body my strength of mind and courage increased my father made me ashamed of that nervous sensibility of which i had before been vain i was glad that the past should be past and forgotten yet a painful reminiscence would come over my mind whenever i heard or saw the word jew about this time i first became fond of reading and i never saw the word in any page of any book which i happened to open without immediately stopping to read the passage 
and here i must observe that not only in the old story-books where the jews are as sure to be wicked as the bad fairies or bad genii or allegorical personifications of the devils and the vices in the old emblems mysteries moralities etc but in almost every work of fiction i found them represented as hateful beings nay even in modern tales of very late years since i have come to man's estate i have met with books by authors professing candour and toleration books written expressly for the rising generation called if i mistake not moral tales for young people and even in these wherever the jews are introduced i find that they are invariably represented as beings of a mean avaricious unprincipled treacherous character even the peculiarities of their persons the errors of their foreign dialect and pronunciation were mimicked and caricatured as if to render them objects of perpetual derision and detestation i am far from wishing to insinuate that such was the serious intention of these authors i trust they will in future benefit by these hints i simply state the effect which similar representations in the story-books i read when i was a child produced on my mind they certainly acted most powerfully and injuriously strengthening the erroneous association of ideas i had accidentally formed and confirming my childish prejudice by what i then thought the indisputable authority of printed books about this time also i began to attend to conversation to the conversation of gentlemen as well as of ladies and i listened with a sort of personal interest and curiosity whenever jews happened to be mentioned i recollect hearing my father talk with horror of some young gentleman who had been dealing with the jews i asked what this meant and was answered tis something very like dealing with the devil my dear those who give a child a witty instead of a rational answer do not know how dearly they often make the poor child pay for their jest my father added it is certain that when a man once goes to the jews he soon goes to the devil so harrington my boy i charge you at your peril whatever else you do keep out of the hands of the jews never go near the jews if once they catch hold of you there's an end of you my boy had the reasons for the prudential part of this charge been given to me and had the nature of the disgraceful transactions with the hebrew nation been explained it would have been full as useful to me and rather more just to them but this was little or no concern of my father's with some practical skill in the management of the mind but with short-sighted views as to its permanent benefit and without an idea of its philosophic moral cultivation he next undertook to cure me of the fears which he had contributed to create he took opportunities of pointing out how poor how helpless how wretched they are how they are abused continually insulted daily and mocked by the lowest of servants or the least of children in our streets their very name a byword of reproach he is a jew an actual jew being the expression for avarice hard-heartedness and fraud of their frauds i was told innumerable stories in short the jews were represented to me as the lowest meanest vilest of mankind and a conversion of fear into contempt was partially effected in my mind partially i say for the conversion was not complete the two sentiments existed together and by an experienced eye could easily be detected and seen even one through the other but whoever knows anything of the passions and who is there who does not must be aware how readily fear and contempt run into the kindred feeling of hatred it was about this time just before i went to school that something relative to the famous jew bill became the subject of vehement discussion at my father's table my father was not only a member of parliament but a man of some consequence with his party 
he had usually been a staunch friend of government but upon one occasion when he first came into parliament nine or ten years before the time of which i am now writing in seventeen fifty three or fifty four i think he had voted against ministry upon this very bill for the naturalization of the jews in england government liberally desired that they should be naturalized but there was a popular cry against it and my father on this one occasion thought the voice of the people was right after the bill had been carried half through it was given up by ministry the opposition to it proving so violent my father was a great stickler for parliamentary consistency and moreover he was of an obstinate temper ten years could make no change in his opinions as he was proud to declare there was at this time during a recess of parliament some intention among the london merchants to send addresses to government in favour of the jews and addresses were to be procured from the country the county members and among them of course my father were written to but he was furiously against the naturalization he considered all who were for it as enemies of england and i believe to religion he hastened down to the country to take the sense of his constituents or to impress them with his sense of the business previously to some intended county meeting there were i remember various dinners of constituents at my father's and attempts after dinner over a bottle of wine to convince them that they were or ought to be of my father's opinion and that they had better all join him in the toast of the jews are down and keep em down a subject apparently less liable to interest a child of my age could hardly be imagined but from my peculiar associations it did attract my attention i was curious to know what my father and all the gentlemen were saying about the jews at these dinners from which my mother and the ladies were excluded i was eager to claim my privilege of marching into the dining-room after dinner and taking my stand beside my father's elbow and then i would gradually edge myself on till i got possession of half his chair and established a place for my elbow on the table i remember one day sitting for an hour together turning from one person to another as each spoke incapable of comprehending their arguments but fully understanding the vehemence of their tones and sympathizing in the varying expressions of passion as to the rest quite satisfied with making out which speaker was for and which against the jews all those who were against them i considered as my father's friends all those who were for them i called by a common misnomer or metonymy of the passions my father's enemies because my father was their enemy the feeling of party spirit which is caught by children as quickly as it is revealed by men now combined to strengthen still more and to exasperate my early prepossession astonished by the attention with which i had this day listened to all that seemed so unlikely to interest a boy of my age my father with a smile and a wink and a side nod of his head not meant i suppose for me to see but which i noticed the more pointed me out to the company by whom it was unanimously agreed that my attention was a proof of uncommon abilities and an early decided taste for public business young lord mowbray a boy two years older than myself a gawky schoolboy was present and had during this long hour after dinner manifested sundry symptoms of impatience and made many vain efforts to get me out of the room after cracking his nuts and his nutshells and thrice cracking the cracked after suppressing the thick coming yawns that at last could no longer be suppressed he had risen writhed stretched and had fairly taken himself out of the room and now he just peeped in to see if he could tempt me forth to play no no cried my father you'll not get harrington he is too deep here in politics but however harrington my dear boy tis not the thing for your young companion go off and play with mowbray but stay first since you've been one among us so long what have we been talking of the jews to be sure papa right cried my father and what about them my dear 
whether they ought to be let to live in England or anywhere. "'Right again, that is right in the main,' cried my father, "'though that is a larger view of the subject than we took. "'And what reasons did you hear?' said a gentleman in company. "'Reasons,' interrupted my father, "'oh, sir, to call upon the boy for all the reasons he has heard. "'But you will not pose him. Speak up, speak up, Harrington, my boy.' "'I've nothing to say about reasons, sir. "'No, that was not a fair question,' said my father. "'But, my boy, you know on which side you are, don't you?' "'To be sure, on your side, father.' "'That's right. Bravo! To know on which side one is, is one great point in life.' "'And I can tell on which side every one here is.' Then going round the table, I touched the shoulder of each of the company, saying, "'A Jew! No Jew!' and bursts of applause ensued. When I came to my father again, he caught me in his arms, kissed me, patted my head, clapped me on the back, poured out a bumper of wine, bid me drink his toast, "'No naturalization, Bill! No Jews!' and while I blundered about the toast and tossed off the bumper, my father pronounced me a clever fellow, a spirited little devil who, if I did but live to be a man, would be, he'd engage, an honour to my country, my family, and my party. Exalted, not to say intoxicated, by my father's praise, when I went to the drawing-room to the ladies, I became rather more eloquent and noisy than my mother thought quite becoming. She could not, indeed, forbear smiling furtively at my wit, when in answer to some simple country lady's question of, after all, why should not the Jews be naturalised? I, with all the pertness of ignorance, replied, why, ma'am, because the Jews are naturally an unnatural pack of people, and you can't naturalise what's naturally unnatural. Kisses and cake in abundance followed, but when the company was gone, my mamma thought it her duty to say a few words to me upon politeness, and a few words to my father upon the too much wine he had given me. The reproach to my father, being just, he could not endure, but instead of admitting the truth, he vowed by Jupiter Ammon that his boy should never be made a Miss Molly, and to school I should go, by Jupiter Ammon next morning plump. Now it was well known in our house that a sentence of my father's, beginning and ending, by Jupiter Ammon, admitted of no reply from any mortal. It was the stamp of fate, no hope of any reversion of the decree. It seemed to bind even him who uttered the oath beyond his own power of revocation. My mother was convinced that even her intercession was vain, so she withdrew, weeping, to the female apartments, where, surrounded by her maids, the decree of fate was reported, but not verbatim after the manner of the gods and goddesses. The maids and the washerwoman, however, scolded one another very much after their manner, in a council held at midnight about my clothes. The result of the whole was that they must be found and packed, and found and packed at last they were, and the next morning, as decreed, Early as Aurora streaked the east, to school I went, very little thinking of her rosy-tipped fingers. End of chapter 2 Recording by Jenny Bradshaw